All right, here we go. Welcome back into another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Pete Sweeney, the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com. Once again, joined by my deputy editor, the only man who could write 1,500 words about the practice squad, <laughs> John Dixon. What's going on? Well, I think that I've been watching too much cable TV. I can now get, I'm now to the point where when the commercial from the pharmaceutical company comes on, I can recite the side effects before they get to the end. I think that's just way too much cable TV. Yes, we are hopefully toward the end of the quarantine. We're, we're not exactly sure if we should be, but listen, that is not our decision to make. What, is our, what right. is our decision to make is what goes on arrowheadpride.com. And what's amazing is, first of all, want to thank you for some of the feedback. We've seen it and we appreciate that on the early shows. We're enjoying it just as much as you're enjoying listening to it. Uh, second of all, I was actually a little shocked at just how much news has happened here on May 5th from Thursday to Tuesday. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah, and a lot has happened, yeah. Kudos to the NFL for staying relevant. To my dismay, this has become a 52-week job. I thought when I first got here to Kansas City to take on my NFL job in 2014, oh, we do the regular season and then we're good. No, no. There's an off-season and every single week it seems like there's new news. So we're going to dive right into the news in this show. We'll also go back over the press conference from Friday. We have it up in full on the podcast channel. You can listen to it. It is called From the Podium. If you want to go back and listen to the full hour and 20 minutes, but I have the five most important quotes to take away, so we'll react to those. Blogging the Boys, lead editor. That's our SB Nation Cowboys site. RJ Ochoa will join us for the second segment to talk about why Taco Charlton didn't work down in Dallas. And then segment three, we'll wrap up what we thought of the Alex Smith documentary that aired on Friday, Project 11, as well as division odds after the NFL draft, where the Chiefs stand. And then we'll preview the NFL schedule release. So a huge Chiefs show for you right now on Tuesday, May 5th. John, are you ready? I am, always. All right, let's dive right into the news. Uh, this was to be expected, I thought. The Chiefs exercised their fifth-year option on Patrick Mahomes. When you hear this come down, John, what are you thinking? Well, it's, it, it's obviously the move. I think the Chiefs would have preferred to sign him to a long-term deal without exercising. I think a lot of option. Kansas City would have preferred that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's, always, it's always to your advantage to get a big, really big, long-term deal signed as quickly as possible. It's just simple math. The salaries go up every year. So the sooner you can get a guy locked up to a long-term deal, the better off you're going to be. But it just didn't play out that way. And thankfully, Mahomes is clearly of a mindset that he's not going to be bugged by having that fifth-year op option exercise. So why not do it? Yeah, a spoiler alert for you. The Patrick Mahomes quote on his contract is coming up in the next block. We're going to talk about those press conference points, but it seems like he's in the right frame of mind. And what the Chiefs are doing here is they're buying more time. And I just think each move, and I've said it before on this podcast channel, I think each move is just a little drop in the bucket of leverage when it comes to Chris Jones, because mm -hmm. now they can say to Chris Jones's representation, all right, Mahomes was the other big thing we had to worry about. 
look, we got a whole nother year of time to deal with this. Now that, as I said, doesn't necessarily make Kansas City the most comfortable, the most happy in dealing with it, but I'm confident this thing gets done. I don't think that's something you have to worry about where you have Chris Jones who wants to make this big deal. And now that the Chiefs have another year to deal with Mahomes, Jones is right there. I mean, he is the next decision this team has to make. And now they have that leveraged and say, all right, we're ready for you to play on this tag. So mm-hmm. you're, it's going to be up to you whether you come and meet us in the middle or we're going to have to kick this down the road to 2021. I think as time goes on, I've said it before, I think Chris Jones is here, which is remarkable to think about because I think the prevailing thought entering the offseason was that Chris Jones was going to be gone. Right, right. Uh, a lot of people thought that. They were trying to figure out where he'd go. We had multiple people writing articles about that, including myself in some respects, right. you know, where he could end up as, as a trade, but that didn't work out for whatever reason. Maybe it was because of the circumstances of the offseason. Maybe it was because either the Chiefs or the potential trading partner couldn't come to a compensation arrangement. You know, who knows? But it didn't happen. And that's what we're left with. And that's always the risk when you put a player on the franchise tag thinking that a trade is one of the possibilities. You have to be prepared to pay him that salary and have him play for you at that salary. With our luck, John, the Chris Jones news will break as we're recording this podcast. (laughs) Moving on to the other news, really a bigger piece of NFL news coming through on Monday. Don Shula, the legendary coach of the Miami Dolphins, he passes away at the age of 90. I'll read for you Clark Hunt's quote on this. Without a doubt, Don Shula was one of the greatest coaches in the history of any sport. Over the course of his remarkable 33 seasons as a head coach, Coach Shula has had a profound impact on the game he loved, paving the way for the exciting brand of offensive football has become a mainstay in the modern NFL. No one coached more games or won more games than Coach Shula, and his 1972 Dolphins set a standard for perfection that has never been duplicated. On behalf of my family, that's the Hunt family, and the entire Chiefs organization, we extend our heartfelt condolences to the Shula family and the Miami Dolphins. John, you probably... And when I say probably, I mean definitely got to experience <laughs> Coach Shula a bit more than me. So when you heard this news yesterday, what was your reaction? Oh, well, I, the guy was the best. I mean, you said to me yesterday, greatest of all time. Yeah, absolutely. He won not only two back-to-back Super Bowls, but he won an NFL championship for the Colts prior to the merger, right. which in itself is a pretty amazing resume right there. But In the modern era, that is, since the merger, he won five conference championships. But to me, his greatest legacy isn't those numbers. It was his ability to build a team any which way that can be really good. When he went undefeated with the Dolphins in 1972, the the famous perfect season, that was entirely a running game. I happened to catch the tail end of a of the show about the 73 Super Bowl, Bob Greasy threw seven passes in that game. It was all Larry Zonka, you know, but Don Shula is also the guy who drafted Dan Marino and turned that into a passing offense. He didn't care. He just adapted to the players that he had and found a way to make them successful. And that is the mark of a really, really fine head coach. Shula's last home victory as head coach of the Dolphins actually came against the Chiefs 13-6 on Monday Night Football in December of 1995. Really impressed by the staying power of Shula when a lot of coaches in the league will tell you 
everybody has a shelf life, including Andy Reid had said that when he was moving on mm-hmm. from Philadelphia, right. sort of understanding that, again, eventually a team's going to move on from you. So the staying power is impressive. And I think what's impressive, sort of in a negative way, but positive light on Shula, the Dolphins really haven't been the same since. I mean, this is still a team that has been trying to figure it out since the mid-90s. And that That's just fair. goes to yeah. show what Shula had as far as an impact on the Dolphins organization. I thought this was interesting. He's, of course, the all-time winningest head coach at 347. George Hallis, 324. Bill Belichick, 304. Tom Landry, 270. Uh, Curly Lambeau, 229. And then your coach, Reed, 222, sitting there at sixth. If the Chiefs have a good season, he'll be there at fifth. And if he continues to go on, who knows how him and Belichick will start to tackle uh, these rankings. But Shula still seems almost insurmountable. Belichick, if he can stay healthy, and it seems that way, we'll have a shot. But for at least the foreseeable future, that is your winning as head coach. Again, he passes away on Monday. Clark Hunt weighing in. Next piece of Chiefs news. No update on Bashad Breland. And as I've been saying, I just think we're already at the point in this situation where we know there's going to be a suspension, but he would have been released already. I think if the Chiefs were going to move on from Bashad Breland, I think it would have happened already. They said in statements that they've been collecting information and they're going to figure it out, let it play through the authorities and then make their own decision. But I think we just saw how swiftly they acted with Kareem Hunt. So I I just get the feeling that he would have been gone already. I think he is here. Now it's a matter of how many games will Bashad Breland miss. Right. And and it's probably well, it's hard to say. We don't really know the the details on the previous suspension that he was apparently looking at before this other incident happened. The NFL conduct policy doesn't require an arrest, doesn't require a conviction. Right. It just requires that uh, in order to be to get a suspension, you need to demonstrate conduct detrimental to the league, which is a pretty wide a wide thing to 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 go with. And just by resisting arrest and having a video of uh, out there of you resisting arrest might be enough to get a suspension on that basis. So, yeah, I think we are looking at some kind of suspension. It's just a question of how long. It's interesting because, as you mentioned, there need not be an arrest mm-hmm. for, or you know, even a court case for the NFL to weigh in. But we're also in that gray area of the old CBA and the new CBA where supposedly there's going to be third parties and a little bit laxed suspensions of what we've seen in the past. And Breland finds a case right in the middle there. So we'll see how the NFL reacts to this. This may be a sign of how the NFL will deal with cases in the future now that they're in this new CBA for the next decade. John, I don't know if you care about this. You're an old school guy. Rookie jersey numbers are out. Do you care? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's All always right. interesting. Well, and, it, and it's least informative. You start to get it in your head. Okay, who's 25 now? Who's 51? You know, we're watching the games right. coming up. I've managed to come up with, I think, a decent point on this. So bear with me here. Oh, okay. Mike Dana, 51. You have Bo Pete Keys. And this is coming from Bo Pete Sweeney. He's number 29. You have Clyde <laughs> Edwards, Allaire. Uh, he's number 25. Niang is 67. And you have Lajarius Sneed at 38. And Willie Gay Jr., he's at number 50. This week on Good Morning Football, Peter Schrager, who loves 
him some Chiefs. He was talking about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and that number 25. Guess what number Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is wearing, guys? He's rocking the 25. He will be wearing the Jamal Charles 25. I cannot wait to see this dude in that jersey, ripping off big runs. Similar kind of body type where he's not the biggest Mm -hmm. dude, but he can also take a hit. Also, what Clyde Edwards-Hilaire did in that LSU offense was catch out of the backfield. If I'm a Chiefs fan, I am so excited about the 2020 season, not only because we bring back all of our old weapons from last year, but we're adding maybe the top running back in this entire draft, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, wearing the Jamal Charles 25. I can't wait to see it. Opening night in the NFL. Now, bear with me here. Peter Schrager talks to every front office. We know that he has connections in Kansas City. There was a time when nobody knew who Patrick Mahomes was. And there was a guy on ESPN named Lewis Riddick who said, you got to look out for this guy. Watch for this guy. And everyone's like, this rookie, no one really cares. This first year starter, no one really cares. And it was almost like John the Baptist prophetic of what (laughs) happened in Kansas City. We know Peter Schrager has connections in the front office. We know that the Chiefs front office is going to brag about their guys. But this reminds me of that moment when nobody really knows who CEH is. And you have Peter Schrager going on the number one football show every day and saying, watch out for this guy. I think he's laying him some Lewis Riddick, Mahomes type groundwork so he can be correct when this guy becomes one of the main weapons in the league this season. What do you think about that, John? I think that's a good point, and and I agree. He really could be a, a powerhouse player for the Chiefs, but you know he's a rookie. You know, there's there's always that that so was Kareem uh, uncertainty. Hunt? Yeah, what's that? So was Kareem Hunt. Well, right, right. There's always going to be some insert uncertainty in that, but on paper, this guy could be spectacular. I got to say though, I love how Peter Schrager says. If I were a Chiefs fan and then talks about, we've got him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think there's a certain relationship between on the ESPN's Lewis Riddick and Brett Veach. And I I think the same thing about Peter Schrager with the way he talks about Chiefs. And I remember last year, and this was just me figuring things out. Peter Schrager goes, yeah, everyone out of Kansas City is saying Sammy Watkins looks incredible. The media hadn't been to a practice yet. And so who's he talking to? So I I just think that's something to watch. I think CEH could be the real deal. And already you hear that name. I know a lot of people go CMC, Christian McCaffrey. I think CEH by the end of the season might be a thing uh, considering the signs that we've seen before are starting to show themselves a little bit. I know a lot of our readers have been working on nicknames for him. Yes. Uh, And my person, no one has suggested this to my knowledge, but why not Dash? Right. For a, that, for a nickname. Yes, that, that works. I, I, I think Clyde the Glide is interesting. That, I like as well. that one too. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I've learned in my short tenure in charge of AP is you can't force nicknames on people. No, you really so can't. I will, I will let the people decide for themselves. Uh, Chiefs <laughs> acquisitions this week. We talked about defensive end Taco Charlton. We're going to get into detail with the first part of his career with RJ Ochoa in just a little bit. But this was a former 2017 first-round pick for the Dallas Cowboys, a defensive end from Michigan who has played with with Frank Clark 
And this is a player who could provide some depth for the Chiefs at a position in which they need it with Emmanuel Agba going to the Miami Dolphins. Remains to be seen how the Chiefs are, are going to use him. you have any words on Taco? Well, I think that you're always at least getting the potential of a good player if you get a former first-round pick who hasn't worked out with another team. Yeah, Brett Feach loves these former first-round picks and second-round mm-hmm. picks. We've seen it with Reggie Ragland and Cam Irving and Darren Lee. Not names that really jump out to you right. as raging successes, but right. they did have an impact on the team. Right. It at least gives you someone who is has a reasonable expectation of having some talent. And then you find out if that's a talent that you can make work on your team. At his stops up to this point, Charlton hasn't been a guy who's worked on those teams. So now we find out if the talent that he has can work in the Chiefs system and in the Chiefs locker room. Another acquisition for the Chiefs this week, quarterback Shea Patterson. And this was from Brian Ehrlich, his agent in the Detroit News. Patterson dealt with this like a quarterback in the NFL when he's talking about not being drafted. He was able to land on a team and was never feeling sorry for himself. It's a perfect spot. The Chiefs already have three quarterbacks on their roster. Mahomes is the starter. We all know that. Chad Enney is his backup. We all know that. Jordan Ta'amu, the XFL player who found a home with the Kansas City Chiefs. And now Patterson. This is not uncommon for Andy Reid, who likes four arms in his camp when he goes into it typically. But what is that? Uh, It's a hidden storyline? This from Sports Illustrated. All Ole Miss fans know how the two will forever be intertwined. That's Ta'amu and Patterson, a five-star recruit and the number one ranked pro-style quarterback in the recruiting class of 2016. Patterson took over as the Rebel starter in the middle of his freshman season when Chad Kelly tore his ACL. Named the starter as a sophomore in 2017, Patterson went down with a knee injury against LSU in October. It was later revealed he torn his PCL and he missed the rest of the season. Then a transfer from the New Mexico Military Institute. Jordan Ta'amu opens the 2017 as the Rebel backup to Patterson before coming in as the starter over the final games of that season following Patterson's injury. When the NCAA dropped the proverbial hammer on Ole Miss following that season, Patterson was off to Ann Arbor and Ta'amu remained in Oxford. Would Ta'amu have beaten out Patterson if Bold had stayed many around the program back then? Think so. Now they're going to be fighting it out again to see who can make the Kansas City roster behind Patrick Mahomes. A QB3 battle for the ages. John, are you ready for it? <laughs> well, it ought to be fun. It really should. And, and Ta'amu has a lot of potential to be a very good quarterback, as does Patterson. He just seems to uh, have gotten a reputation as a fumbler while he was the starter at Michigan. So we'll see uh, uh, which one of those wins that battle. My money would be on, on Jordan, personally. I think Jordan is the quarterback that is in line to right. be the, the number three right now. We'll see. I mean, there's nothing better mm-hmm. than a QB3 battle at training camp to talk about, right? So here we go. Uh, we will see. And I think let it be known that this is probably a practice squad position that we've seen in recent years. Right. But I also think that probably less Patterson and more Ta'amu because he's flashy. If it is Ta'amu and he has 
what is a really good preseason or camp and you start to see some videos like we saw out of the XFL, I think there may be a case to keep him on the active roster so that teams can't scoop him up. What I think the Chiefs see in Ta'amu is if they can develop this guy while Chad Henney is still here, Ta'amu is a closer style to what Patrick Mahomes does. And for example, like we saw last year, the Chiefs had to change their offense completely when Matt Moore came in. You wouldn't have to do that if Ta'amu's the backup, and he could stay here until he Teddy Bridgewaters himself out of the team, and maybe the Chiefs can get an asset for him later down the line. I think it is an interesting battle to watch. Again, we'll see if Ta'amu can outlast Patterson. It's good for him to have some competition there because right, right now we were looking at three quarterbacks on the roster. Yeah. Well, it's too bad that Teddy Bridgewater wanted to be an NFL quarterback, and now he's just become a verb. So, but uh, <laughs> he's the starting quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. So we will see. Finally, can Teddy be a franchise guy? Man, the storylines. We've got to make sure we have a season. I got to find out. About right? Teddy yeah. Bridgewater. There's there's a lot of things to to keep track of this year for sure. Well, I I agree. I think that ideally your backup quarterback is a guy that can come in and run the offense without any kind of a change. We didn't really have that with Matt Moore, right. but he wasn't the guy that they really wanted. They wanted or, Chad Henney. Or Chad Henney. I, right. I mean, Chad Henney is not Patrick Mahomes. Right. right. And neither is Jordan Ta'amu, but I think he just is a closer quarterback right. than any of these other guys. And I think that's why he would have the inside track at this point. I'd agree, I'd agree with you on that. The Chiefs say goodbye to two players to make room, a tight end Elise Mack and running back Mike Weber. I think this is good for these guys because they were in crowded rooms. Mike Weber, especially there is no way Mike Weber with a drafted running back, Damien Williams and the players they like in that room was making this team. So good for him to maybe find another right. team. And then Elise Mack, suddenly the tight end position already had a battle between Ricky Seals Jones and Dion Yelder. I don't think Elise Mack was cracking that. So it makes sense that the Chiefs say goodbye to Mack and Weber. The NFL schedule release is this Thursday at 7 p.m. Arrowhead time. We'll preview this at the end of the show, but keep it locked in at arrowheadpride.com. Typically, how these schedule releases work is throughout the day, we start to get that trickle effect of, of games coming out, especially mm -hmm. the marquee games. I'd imagine Mahomes and Brady's date is out before a lot of right. the other games. So again, we'll preview that in detail at the end of this program, but look out for that stuff on Thursday on Arrowhead Pride. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com.
Now, I want to shift gears to the five most important press conference points. Again, I'll reiterate, if you want to listen to these in full, they're available right on this channel. You can go back to From the Podium and listen to an hour and 19 minutes of Andy Reid, Tyron Matthew, Patrick Mahomes, and Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. I got the cliff notes for you, though. So let's, let's listen to these back and let's react. And then we'll move on again to talking with RJ Ochoa on Taco Charlton. But first, Andy Reid weighs in on the challenge of going back-to-back to win the Super Bowl again. I've been on a back-to-back uh, team going to the Super Bowl when I was an assistant. Uh, we ended up losing the, the second one. But uh, I understand the intensity level that it takes to, to get there the first time. There, there's a certain climb-the-ladder attitude that takes place the first time. The second time that you go, you're, you know, some of those motivations you don't have. You have to... It's not the same motivation that you have uh, that you had the first time. So um, you've really got to focus in on trying to be better, trying to challenge yourself to be even greater than what you were that previous year. And it's a mindset, and it starts like now. So we're doing, even though we're doing this thing virtually, it starts now. Uh, there's no time to waste. We're not going to just go. Okay, we got everybody coming back, and we're going to give you the same plays to run. No, we're going to keep growing. I don't think we came near to what we could be last year. I mean, we, our defense was in their first year as a staff and 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 in installations. And so grow, continue to grow and want that, cherish that as a player, man. I mean, we're giving you things to even be greater, like I said, than what you are now. And and likewise, offense, we, uh, we're going to keep attacking that thing offensively and and giving you things that you can, uh, you know, that you can really benefit from as a player and, and as a team. Woo, there is nothing that probably gets you going as a Chiefs fan than hearing that the Super Bowl champions have that much room to grow. And I want to go into Andy's point about how he's already experienced this back-to-back Super Bowl challenge. This was a challenge he failed at. He was a member of the Packers coaching staff back in the 1996 season when they win over the New England Patriots. And then the Packers go back to the Super Bowl and lose to the Denver Broncos for the 1997 season. I thought this was interesting. For the 96 season, Andy Reid was listed as the assistant offensive line and tight ends coach for that run back, hashtag run it back, before hashtag existed back in 1997. He was the quarterback's coach and assistant head coach for when they ended up losing in the Super Bowl. So you, you'd imagine this is a, another challenge as you have to get creative here once you've won the Super Bowl where he would like to accomplish something. And it seems like already the Chiefs have the right mindset here. I agree. And you know what's interesting, what I found interesting about that comment that Reed made is that the team is having to make sort of the same adjustment that the fans are having to make. Because in the offseason, we're so accustomed to having this mindset of, as Reed put it, climbing the ladder. What is it that we have to do? What is it the Chiefs have to do as a team in order to make that next step, whatever that next step is? And coming into this season, it was going to and winning the Super Bowl. And now it's like people don't really know what to talk about because we've won the Super Bowl. So how do you approach things from that point forward? And I thought that was one of the most interesting things about what Reed said there was that it's an entirely different mindset from the team's perspective. And that should be easy for us to see because we're going through the same thing as fans. You're right. 
And I, I am eager to watch this year how Kansas City and Chiefs fans start to embrace itself as the hunted, which has been right. a buzzword recently. And it's really cool to, again, I've only covered this team since 14, but I have even seen in my short time here, it was, we got to get over the mountaintop. Then you get mm-hmm. this glory child in Patrick Mahomes, and now mm-hmm. you're the guy. Yeah. And he's only 24, and Andy Reid's one of the greatest coaches of all time. You'd expect that they continue to go to the postseason. If they can continue to have success, Kansas City's not going to like this, but you're going to become the new New England. So let's see right. if that begins to happen. Patrick Mahomes also weighed in on his contract. Yeah, with the with the first part, I mean, for me, I think I've been in a unique situation where I've grown up getting to see a lot of guys go through contracts and, and doing a lot of different things and having an understanding of how it all works. Uh, for me, obviously, you want to – I want to be a chief for a long time. I, I want to have a contract that, that, that says that and that I can go out there and, and know that I have that security and everything like that. But I, I understand and trust the chief's organization and everybody in it that they're going to handle it the right way. I trust my representation that they're going to let me have ease my mind and let me go out there and, and just lo- love the game that I've loved playing. And so for me, whenever that happens, uh, it, it happens. But uh, I'm going to focus on being the best football player I can be every single day. Pat Mahomes is like, I don't know, I'm going to make up a number here, 798 for 798 of saying the right thing since he got into the <laughs> National Football League. It'd be easier to keep track of the times he, he doesn't say the right thing, which is currently zero. Incredible answer. And I believe it, too. I, I think he just wants to talk with Reed about how they're going to win the Super Bowl again next year. And he's going to let Lee Steinberg and that representation talk with Brett Beach and work through the details. Bottom line here is that he needs to be paid like he's the best quarterback we've ever seen. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that are saying, okay, yeah, but he should take less money so that the rest of the team can be as good as he is and they could go to bet. Yes, maybe when he's 30 and and it's after his first initial contract, but he deserves his money. And if, Mm -hmm. and if he wants to think about his legacy when it's the second contract, all right, then you want to talk to, I'll be probably 36, 37 by then. Maybe we can have that discussion. But right Right. now I think he deserves his money and the chiefs for what it's worth have been proactive. Brett beach in particular about saying he can get his money and we could still be competitive. We can work around that. We're seeing interesting things with the salary cap. And again, he has the right attitude here, Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Right. Always, always, always the right attitude. Not only a great player, but a guy who never, ever puts a foot wrong. I mean, I really can't think of a single time where he's said or done a single thing that has reflected badly on the team, on himself, or suggested that he has a bad attitude about anything. It's, it's frankly astonishing. You know, normally you see with a young player, you know, an occasional misstep or whatever, but he just, it just doesn't happen with Mahomes. Well, okay. Maybe he got a little drunk at the parade, but (laughs) (laughs) a a tiny, a tiny, tiny blemish. If you could, (laughs) if you could call it that on a long, long, long resume of doing the right thing and being, one of the better players I, we've ever I seen. I personally am willing to forgive it. I'm just saying. So, Right, right. Um, I want to move on now to Tyron Matthew, and he had his opportunity to speak. And Andy Reid had mentioned how the Chiefs could improve as a team, how they could improve on defense. Matthew was asked about that, and this is a little bit longer of a clip. After you hear him talk about that, you'll hear my voice, and I ask him about 
calling some of these draft picks as soon as they were drafted, him being the leader on the Chiefs. But we'll lead off with his reaction to Andy Reid saying, look, we could be better next year. We could have been so much better, uh, especially the production at the ball. I mean, I, I think me, I, I dropped eight interceptions by myself. Um, and so you just understand that, you know, if you make certain plays, uh, it, it would have completely changed, you know, um, how well we played. And I thought we played well, but it could have been great. Um, but um, so I think that's the motivation this year is that we know we can we can really get better. When it comes to some of these players that are drafted, I mean, a lot were on the defensive side of the football and, and Gay and then Snead and, and Keys. I was just curious, how soon do you take it upon yourself uh, to reach out to these guys and what have those conversations been like? And then my second point was sort of in light of the Breland situation, you've become the leader of the Chiefs defense. What does it mean and what responsibility comes with being, in your opinion, a, a Kansas City Chiefs defensive back? Yeah, well, you, know, you mentioned the, uh, the, the, uh, the couple guys that, that we drafted over draft week and uh, I, think I, I think I actually hit, hit up all those boys that night, actually. Uh, uh, maybe hit up Bo P the next day, um, but just excited to play with guys that love football. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't think anyone's perfect, but I think if you're able to look at those guys, you'll say they love to play football. They love to tackle. They love to be out there. And uh, I think as a defensive player, that's all you can ask for, you know, when your GM is drafting a player. You just just get a guy that loves to play football, that loves to tackle. And, you know, coach fast and coach him up. I could try to coach him up and, you know, we'll figure out where to go. But um, I think being a leader is, yeah, it's a ton of responsibility. Um, so it's, uh, it's obviously a great deal of accountability as well. Um, and, you know, you just have to hold people accountable. But I think most importantly, you have to hold yourself accountable. I think there's a certain way um, you practice. Um, I think there's a certain way you play. I think there's a certain way you interact with teammates. There's a certain way you, you know, interact with coaches and um, even the media. So um, I think leadership is not just you um, being really good at football. I think it's you... Um, understanding that you're good at football and that you can help other people be good at football. And so uh, I think that's leadership. And um, so, uh, I mean, that's just what I try to do. I mean, we went from Patrick Mahomes to the other side of the football. And yeah, it's a different style, but the Chiefs couldn't be better set up with a guy on that side. You have him listing the amount of interceptions he dropped. This was a player who in the second half of the season was probably the best defensive player in the league. He calls your draft picks. He's talking about leadership and that responsibility. The Chiefs right now with these two young guys and Mahomes and Matthew just couldn't be better set up in the league. When you talk, everyone likes to talk about duos and tandems. Talk, let's mm -hmm. talk about offensive and defensive pillars in the league. Doesn't get much better than Mahomes and Matthew. Really doesn't. And uh, there shouldn't be any doubt in anybody's mind what it was that attracted the Chiefs to Matthew. Now that we have seen how he's performed through a full season, it wasn't just about his ability to make plays on the field, which is obviously substantial, but it was his ability to lead other players and provide an example to them, which he, again, just like Mahomes, he rarely sets a foot wrong. When, he, when you hear his quotes, when you read his quotes, you're like, oh my gosh, that's the perfect thing to say. And it, it, it happens with Matthew almost as much as Mahomes. And I agree that it's almost like an offensive and defensive tandem, which isn't really a thing, but we have one. Right. And Patrick Mahomes, it almost feels like, too, he was born just the perfect human as he handles situations, almost like a robot. Whereas Matthew had a different story where he had right. went through those problems in college, 
a lot of people said you shouldn't even draft this guy and right. he learned from his mistakes and so both of these guys i think give off similar vibes on their side of the football but very different backstories and that's just a credit to the kansas city chiefs for being able to find different types of stories different types of people to lead your team to a championship caliber want to go through these last two quickly because we are up against the clock. Here's what Laurent Duvernay Tardif is up to while you're just enjoying your quarantine on the couch with Netflix. Right, right now I'm, I'm working quote unquote as a, as an orderly. Um, I, I, it was kind of the easiest status to, to give me because I'm, I'm kind of in a gray zone, you know, uh, having graduated with my doctorate in medicine, but I'm not in a residency program. So it was kind of hard to be like, I jump in as a physician because I, I, I'm not really at, at, at this uh, specific time. So uh, the, the help that the, the healthcare um, department needed was mostly as orderly. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, but I'm doing also a little bit of nurse tasks, you know, uh, handing out medication, uh, making sure the, the patient are all right. Uh, I'm working in a, in a long-term care facility right now. So, you know, the, the, the average uh, patient is probably like closer to 80 years old. So it's a totally different mindset. Uh, I haven't really been exposed to a lot of geriatric patients uh, throughout my, my medical uh, studies. So, so it's, it's really a different mindset. And, and in that time of crisis, you know, there's just so many uh, extra steps you got to do, you know, uh, in order to protect yourself, but also protect your patients. So, you know, we're, we're wearing like our visor and our mask like all day long during the whole shift. Uh, washing your hands and, and there's just so many precautionary measures in place in order to protect both you and the patient uh, that it just make everything heavier in terms of task and that's why they need so many people yes there's there's a lot of medical uh, professionals that have been sick from covid or are in quarantine right now but there's also just more work to do on every floor so that's why they need people and that's why i'm here right now LDT, of course, has his medical degree from McGill University, went on in that interview to talk about how he almost has a halfway house to shower and take his stuff off so that he can get clean and be able to interact with his girlfriend. And so this is a Super Bowl champion, a multimillionaire that never would have to use his medical degree in his life. And he is fighting one of the most contagious pandemics we have ever seen. And so kudos, I think, to him. Right, John? Some deep blue hero stuff there, absolutely. You just can't say enough about a guy that wants to take a step like that when he's in a position that he doesn't really have to. No one would think less of him if he wasn't out there working as a doctor at this point, but he chooses to do so. It says a lot about the man's character. and I'm very, very proud to have him as a chief, frankly. And to wrap up this segment, just Andy Reid detailing what's going on with your Chiefs right now in what they're calling the virtual offseason. I'm, I'm real big on organizing. So I'm doing training camp right now, just like it's training camp. I've gone through with the new rules that the CBA's presented to us, and I'm setting up uh, camp under those rules. Um, I'm ready to adjust if needed um, as information comes in. Information comes in daily. So um, and the league's working through it just like we're working through it. Nobody knows. It's the unknown, and it's hard to, it's hard to uh, plan for the unknown. And so, uh, but we'll be ready. We're, we're going to be ready no matter what. I've got things that I'm sure I'm going to have to throw in the trash can uh, because it didn't come to fruition. But I'm, I'm going to be ready for whatever shows um, and stay as flexible as, poss as I possibly can. 
This is why Andy Reid is one of the best. And those are your five bullet points to know from the Chiefs press availability on last Friday. Coming up next, we welcome in Blogging the Boys lead editor RJ Ochoa to talk about why Taco Charlton went wrong in his two years in Dallas. Hopefully shine some light on that. You're listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, and I want to welcome the Dallas Cowboys lead editor for SB Nation, the site blogging the boys, friend of the show, I think, right? RJ Ochoa, welcome to the AP Editor Show. It's been a while, I think, since uh, since the smooth baritone voice of, uh, <laughs> of myself has been on the AP podcast feed, uh, but it's nice to be back. You, you rearranged the furniture a bit, and I, uh, I like what you've done with the place. Thank you very much. I'm trying here to do my best as we are quarantined still. That's changing sooner rather than later. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about Taco Charlton, who was originally a cowboy, taken with the number 28 overall pick in the 2017 NFL draft. I want to start by going back to the beginning. When the Cowboys make this pick, what were the expectations in Dallas? Well, so this was coming off the rookie seasons of both Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott. Obviously, uh, an impressive 13-3 and regular season campaign, getting bounced in the divisional round, their first playoff game, to now Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers, Jared Cook, third and 20. Uh, very painful times. Tony Romo had just uh, taken over at CBS, uh, to put in perspective how long ago this was. And so... Um, you know, the Cowboys up to that point had really, really had this reputation of knocking their first round picks out of the park. Uh, you know, to that point in the decade, they'd taken Des Bryant in 2010, Tyron Smith 2011. They did trade up for now Super Bowl champion Morris Claiborne in 2012. Right. Um, and then, uh, of course, Travis Frederick in 2013, Zach Martin in 2014, now Dolphins corner Byron Jones in 15, and then that year, Zeke in 16. So they had this reputation of really just crushing first round picks. And so, there was a lot of hope that, uh, you know, with a pick further back than they had been in recent drafts, they would have been able to do the same. And uh, spoiler alert, they did not. Yeah, Charlton never really performed well in Dallas, but he was able, as you alluded to the other day when I talked to you about this, come up with a, a nickname that would live <laughs> yeah. in infamy, I guess. So at training camp in 2018, the Cowboys, you know, they train generally in Oxnard, California. So, uh, you know, it's, it's the Bay Area for some folks. It's, it's the West Coast. It's the left coast. And uh, life is good for, uh, for all of them, I, I guess. And so they're always in a great frame of mind. And Taco Charlton decided that the Cowboys defensive linemen would be the Hot Boys in Ode to the famous hip-hop R&B group. And they had special nicknames for every person. I, I don't recall who was who. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, like when you were a little kid, you know what I mean? And you would watch like a show with like your friends <laughs> or family. You're like, oh, I, I'm going to be that one. That's who I am. And that's, that's how the Cowboys were. And then, it, you know, they for some people, unfortunately, had a lot of success on the second half of that season. And so there was a constant level of debate as to who who was a hot boy. And you, if you had to be a, a defensive lineman or an edge rusher, Sean Lee became a hot boy. Jalen Smith made a case to be a hot boy. It is a name that basically every Cowboys fan hates, but the group has sort of trademarked and used to do a lot of good. So in that capacity, it worked out. I look at the numbers here and you pull up something like pro football reference. 
no starts in 2017 as a rookie, but he did start seven games. So how does this go from what was a regular contributor to tweeting out free me from the Cowboys? So the Cowboys have a star left defensive end in DeMarcus Lawrence, who's the highest for now paid player in franchise history. And so they played Taco Charlton at right end and the Cowboys rolled some dice in 2015, two years before drafting Taco on Randy Gregory, who's somebody that's been a project of theirs and somebody whose life they've been looking to help out since then. And, And Taco really from day one, I think, thought that he was on DeMarcus Lawrence's caliber. They were very close to all of the defensive linemen. And obviously, uh, Tank, as DeMarcus is known, produced, and Taco did not. And Taco attested that he should be playing at the left-end spot, and that that was the reason that he wasn't having as much success off the right side. And he kind of sort of leaned on that idea. Additionally, you know, there was a lot of talk that Taco had attitude problems. You know, it was around Thanksgiving of his rookie season that Taco Charlton reportedly needed an attitude adjustment. He was inactive, and there was a lot of conversation about that. And I think in Taco's defense, he Cowboys fans can be really loud on Twitter and on social media. And when the Cowboys took Taco Charlton, TJ Watt was on the board. And so for a lot of people, Taco represented not being TJ Watt. And people were constantly just chirping at him. And that had to wear on him, I would imagine. And so, you know, he he had issues in terms of buying into, you know, what Rod Marinelli was was wanting. Rod Marinelli very infamously stood on the table, pounded the proverbial table for Taco. And so I think he just kind of fell behind in, in the rotation because he wasn't getting playing time. You know, on the right end spot, the Cowboys have had Tyrone Crawford, who has been a team captain of theirs and kind of a leader. And so it just never really made sense in terms of an ergonomic perspective why Taco Charlton was even drafted if he wasn't going to be starting. But the Cowboys tried to breed him and grow him behind what they had going on. It just didn't work out. And then that kind of soured the relationship to the point that he ultimately, uh, yeah, <laughs> ultimately, you know, he, he really thought, I think, that he was this big name and he came from a big school and, and big program and had a big head coach and had a really trademarkable name and personality. You know, there was this photo right after he got drafted of him holding a, a plate of tacos, as you can imagine. And so it was this big thing. Every time he would have a sack, he would he would like do a celebration where he was he was like making tacos and handing them out to his teammates. So I think he really wanted to be Taco Charlton. It just, you know, he didn't necessarily put in the work to get there like a lot of other people. Yeah, you speed this up. So we get to 2019 and two games into the season, he's a healthy scratch and tweets out free me and the Cowboys move on, lands in Miami where it seems like he has a bit more production, but it ends the same last week. The Dolphins move on after what was probably his most productive stretch when he has five sacks. But as a Cowboys fan, as someone who writes about the Cowboys, And you see him land in Kansas City. You mentioned the Michigan program with Frank Clark maybe taking him under his wing. What's your confidence level that this maybe works out for Kansas City? Well, I'll say this, that um, at least in terms of recent history, good things happen for the Chiefs that come out of Miami. And that that's where RJ and Big Sween got down. Um, <laughs> so they're, they're still talking about us down in uh, you know the city of Mr. Worldwide and whatnot. But I mean, to be honest, look, I, I, I always hope the best for any player, but it's, it's hard to imagine that, that Taco Charlton 
find success going at it the way he has been. And again, I, I think that going to Miami was a great change of pace for him. And oh, that happens a lot, right? I mean, a lot of the guys just need a change of scenery and, and maybe, you know, linking up with the world champs and, and players, you mentioned Frank Clark, like Tyron Matthew. I mean, I have to imagine that those will be impactful people and personalities on his day-to-day operations. But I also think that the chiefs are, I mean, at least in, in my perspective, in a different place than they were even like two yeah. years ago. I mean, they're, they're a, a big time brand. They're one of the biggest teams in the NFL. They have some of the biggest superstars. They have the biggest superstar in the league on their team. And so it, they're a show. And Taco kind of joined that in the Cowboys. And so I think that there's certainly a fair reason to have a lot of hesitation. But I mean, at the end of the day, this is a talented player that was a first round prospect by many people, not just the Cowboys three years ago. And so if the Chiefs are able to get anything out of him, I mean, uh, it it seems by all measurements, uh, like a risk free opportunity for Kansas City. And so in that respect, I think it's wise, but I I would not hold my breath uh, personally that Taco Charlton would achieve a lot just because the NFL career he's had to this point doesn't seem to imply that he would. Yeah, the Dolphins had to decide on his fifth-year option, and when they decided against after he was a healthy scratch three of the last four games last season, they decided to ultimately move on. You look at the defensive ends for Kansas City. Behind Frank Clark right now, because Emmanuel Agba did go to the Miami Dolphins, you have Alex Okafor, Tano Passio, Breland Speaks, Mike Dana, who was just drafted. There might be a chance for Taco Charlton to work his way in the mix, Again, it may be in a depth role. And based upon this conversation, don't you think maybe the Chiefs should be concerned that he would be unwilling to accept that kind of role where you're rotating in? Or are you confident that maybe after all of this humble pie in Dallas and Miami, he could have a change of heart here and it could work out? I have, you know, I think that my belief in humans as a whole is certainly enough to say that maybe Taco could view this as, all right, I've got two strikes against me. Third one is the last chance. And, you know, if it's not going to work out with the world champs, where is it going to work out for me in the NFL? However, he was given a lot of chances. And I mean, he was drafted by the Cowboys specifically because, you know, their defensive coordinator, defensive line coach, Rod Marinelli, really believed in him. And they went to extreme measures to make him comfortable. In fact, that was a big talking point when he was with the Cowboys, that he was soft. And people called him soft taco and, and you know, soggy <laughs> taco and things like that. I'm a, I'm um, a crunchy shell guy myself. <laughs> But, you know, and that was kind of his thing entering the NFL. That was a, another pun, too, that he, he needed seasoning. And it just, he, he has never seemed, at least during the majority of his career, like somebody who was willing to, to put in the work, whether that's even just to be the star, let alone to be a rotational piece. And so unless that disposition of his changed dramatically between the time he left the Cowboys around week three last year and now, I I wouldn't bet on it. But I mean, you know, a lot of guys turn their careers around a lot of ways and in a lot of different places and certainly happened in Kansas City and Dallas and across the NFL. I mentioned Tyron Matthew. I mean, he's a guy that that certainly had some second chances thrown his way and look what he's done with them. And so it would be nice to see Taco have success. It's just hard to see given what his career was with the Dallas Cowboys. You see Brett Veach, the GM of the Chiefs, do this where he'll go after former first rounders and former second rounders and try to give his coaching staff an opportunity to make something with them. I'm intrigued. It's funny, though, with Brett Veach, and you do a great job on Twitter as you do on the website, your Twitter, RJ Ochoa. Very simple, but I retweeted a tweet of yours the other day because I I thought it was good. 
notable former Cowboys defensive players that wound up with the Chiefs at one point or another recently. Anthony Hitchens, Damian Wilson, Charvarius Ward, Mo Claiborne, Orlando Skandrick, and Taco Charlton. What do you make of Kansas City, at least on the defensive side of the football, becoming Cowboys North? It is... It's annoying this offseason in particular, <laughs> having to hear all of our readers talk about how the Cowboys lost these players to the world champions and et cetera, et cetera. It's fascinating. I mean, and I think it's fascinating from the perspective of two of these players, at least Taco Charlton and Orlando Skandrick, wore out their welcome with the Cowboys and the fact right. that they were, were able to kind of find someone else, uh, granted a team that has as much notoriety as the Chiefs uh, to take a chance on them is impressive. I also think, you know, I forgot to mention Terrence Mitchell on that too. I mean, he yeah. was uh, had a cup of coffee with the Cowboys, but you know, the one that I think the only one that Cowboys fans feel like got away is probably Anthony Hitchens. And I remember I wrote about at Blogging the Boys, and I think you were the one that tipped me off to this. The Chiefs tried to trade for Anthony Hitchens entering right. his, his contractor with the Cowboys. And so they must have really, really liked him all the way back to his days at Iowa. And so Damon Wilson was just kind of a, a roles guy. Morris Claiborne, I think everybody is just accepted that that wasn't, you know, that didn't come to be what everybody thought it was going to be. But it is, it's interesting. I mean, for a long time, there was a lot of Cowboys that end up in Tampa Bay. And I feel like a lot of teams have this connection to a different, you know, franchise. I think a lot of Patriots end up in Tennessee and stuff like that. Where do the Chiefs go? Like, where do a majority of the Chiefs end up? There has to be a spot now that, I mean, the Cowboys did swoop in and take David Irving for what it's worth. So I feel like they're even with Kansas City now. It, it used to be wherever John Dorsey was because the players mm. would, would go to him. But now that he's out of the league, I don't know if there is really a, a true destination. Funny tidbit about Hitchens that I want to share while I got you on is he was the last player in the quote-unquote Hill Mary when the Cowboys beat the Chiefs a couple of years back and they scored a touchdown at the end. Right. So I thought that was a, a funny little tidbit in the Anthony Hitchens opening presser. I think if there's one thing we can agree upon, RJ, it's thank goodness that Orlando Skandrick wasn't a Chief when they won the ring. He was, he was a member of the Philadelphia Eagles and one of the members of the bickering media when the Chiefs finally were able to get it done. He would have had a, a lot of things to say, I imagine. Although Orlando has kind of turned heel mostly towards the Eagles, which has, in a weird way, made a lot of Cowboys <laughs> fans happy. Um, but I do think, you know, now that I think about it, because the Cowboys were really in on Sammy Watkins as well, the, the free agency year that he signed with the Chiefs. And so there's a lot of hanging out at the same water cooler between the Cowboys and the Chiefs. And, and ultimately, that actually, you know, the Cowboys missing out on Sammy is partly what led to them trading for Amari Cooper. So that kind of worked out. RJ Ochoa always does a good job. You can catch him at that name on Twitter, catch his fantastic work at Blogging the Boys. And one word to close our interview, over under for Taco, five and a half sacks in 2020. I would take the under if you said for this decade that we are entering, <laughs> starting with 2020. So that would be my answer. Thank you, RJ. I know Chiefs fans hope that you're wrong about that. Again, remains to be seen at Charlton's <laughs> next chapter here in Kansas City. Coming up on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show after the break, we'll wrap Alex Smith's documentary. We'll talk about division odds after the NFL draft, and we'll give you a preview of the schedule release. Stay with us. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Alex Smith's documentary, which was called Project 11, aired last Friday. John, did you get a chance to watch it? What were your thoughts on, on this look into Alex Smith's life? Well, I watched it uh, on one of the replays over the weekend. 
man, you just don't really get a sense when you uh, see these injuries happen, the kind of impact they have on a player, you know, what the injury looks like when they go into the doctor and, and, and granted, this was a, this was a way off the normal beaten path injury that, that Smith had, but they're actually taking muscle from different parts of his body and putting it, slapping it on his leg where muscle was eaten away by bacteria. It's just, it's first of all, amazing that this kind of thing can actually occur and that Smith, after enduring such a horrifying injury and complications from it, can even consider coming back to play. I mean, it was, it was astonishing to watch. But the thing that really struck me about the show was how much different the perception of Smith is outside of the cities where he has played, San Francisco and Kansas City. Right. Um, it, it, the, the whole demeanor of the show, half of the show was talking about his career before the injury. And they treat him like a winner, a guy who could win a Super Bowl. And in the cities where he's played, he isn't viewed that way. Right. I thought that was quite interesting. Just because I think in the NFL, it's so result-driven. I mean, I watched this show, and there are jarring photos of his leg where... Oh, man. It looks more so like his leg should be in a Stephen King movie... Right. ...than anything real. I get a little bit queasy with blood, and I wasn't queasy because it just looked so fake. That was the condition that his leg was in and he ends up going to a military hospital to try to get some advice as to how to rehab this thing and to go from that and really almost dying. The worst scene I thought was seeing Alex with his eyes sort of in the back of his head. And you could really see that this was real. I mean, he almost died from this Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And so for him to now come back and say, I'd like to try to play again, you really got a sense of, I think, the wherewithal and the champion that is Alex Smith. And it shouldn't really go like this. But when it comes back to the Kansas City Chiefs, I think this story getting out in the way that it did, ESPN, Stefania Bell, I think it only helps his case to be in the ring of honor. If it mm-hmm. was a question to me before as to whether or not Alex Smith would make the ring of honor, and again, it technically shouldn't work like this, but it, it's just life. He's 100% in for me. And I think the Chiefs organization will eventually realize that when Smith's career is over, we'll see if that's sooner rather than later. Right. Well, I, and you know, I personally, I think I said this last week, I was all in on Smith after like one or two games because I admired his toughness. I mean, that was obvious to me right off the bat. We can argue about what his pros and cons were as a quarterback and whether or not he had the wherewithal to win a championship. Those, those things are all arguable. You know, you you can reasonably argue that he could or couldn't be those things, but there was never any question in my mind about his toughness. And this show just proves it. I mean, the, the, the mental and physical toughness that he displays in this documentary is frankly astonishing. If you haven't seen it, you should. There's replays, I believe, still available every once in a while now. Not as regular since Mm -hmm. I think they've done a lot of them over the weekend. But it's called Project 11. I believe it's available for you on ESPN Plus if you do have that service. So look for it. Find it. 
watch it. If you're a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs, you'll be a fan of this documentary. It gives you a good look into what he's been dealing with over the past year and change. Want to get into some AFC West division odds. John, I'm going to just deliver these to you. And then right. you, you, you kind of give me some feedback as to what you think. All right. Before and after the draft. So the Chiefs were favored minus 500. That's heavy favorites to win the AFC West. Their odds slightly went down after the draft, but they're still heavy favorites at minus 400. The Denver Broncos, their next, as far as next favorite to win the division, they actually improved their odds from plus 1,000 to plus 800. The LA Chargers are next. They went from plus 1,100 to plus 900. And then the Raiders' odds actually are a little bit worse. They went from plus 900 to plus 1,000. In the end of this thing, again, the Chiefs' odds to win the division are slightly worse, but it still is a case of the Chiefs as heavy favorites and then everyone else stacked up. Any mm-hmm. surprises there for you? No, not really. I, I think those are I think those are uh, pretty good. I think they've they figured the the improvement and uh, decline pretty accurately based on what we know now. I mean, the Chiefs' draft was seen as average by the national writers. Uh, most of them who gave grades on it, which of course is a silly exercise to begin with, but those who gave grades graded them in the high C's, low B's. They just weren't that impressed. But from where I sit, what that actually looks like is the Chiefs got players with real upside. And if they can make that upside work, that draft is going to be amazing. We, I think there's a good chance we'll look back on this draft and go, oh my gosh, you know what? what amazing picks. But it might not play out that way. And I, for that reason, I think the, the odds are about right. One of the listeners for the Arrowhead Pride Laboratory said it seemed like the Chiefs drafted a lot of sleepers. And in a sense, you, you, it, is, it does feel like a sleeper draft where it's like, oh, no one's going to take Clyde? Well, guess who is? The world champs who have already the highest powered offense in the league. We're going to try to make it better. Willie Gay Jr. punched out his quarterback and no one wants to take him? All right, he's a first-round talent. We're adding him in. And so you see that with the rest of the draft. Like Lucas Niang is coming off of this hip injury. All right, we see him as a tackle of the future and he's available for us in the third round. They knew that they were number 32 and they drafted like that. They said, all right, we know that we don't have the players that are going to be definite contributors, but we're going to take the upside we like, and we believe in our coaching staff to make the most of them. And I think that's why you see how they remained heavy favorites to win this division. The Broncos improved quite a bit, and everyone was pointing to the Broncos and saying, look at all the skill position players right. they're, they're piling yeah. up. Yeah. Unless Drew Locke is comparable to Patrick Mahomes, the receivers and the running backs don't matter. And I got a lot of heat on, on Twitter for this from non-Chiefs fans and because and the tweet went a no. little bit. No, the really? tweet The tweet went somewhat <laughs> viral and they said, oh, all Chiefs fans, Chiefs reporters are the same. No, no. I always have to remind people of this. I was the one who used to get heat for being on the Chiefs. I was that person. No, I just know what I see. And that's that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback we've ever seen. And until you get someone at least comparable, and Drew Locke is not Patrick Mahomes, but maybe he can be comparable. Maybe he can prove to win football games. Maybe he can prove to have flashes of greatness. Then it doesn't matter if you surround Locke with Melvin Gordon and Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. Please, 
please, until you get someone comparable to Patrick Mahomes, you ain't beating the Chiefs more than one out of 10 times. You may get your one like the Chargers did on Thursday night football, but it's not going to happen on a regular basis. That's just the truth. And I think what we're seeing here with what the Chiefs did in the draft is what championship teams do. Right. Because drafting last, they don't have the access to the top level players. They're picking last. So they have to do that. And if you really look at what championship teams have done in the past, like the Patriots, et cetera, this is what they do. It's almost as if we didn't get the Patriot way by getting Scott Pioli, but by winning the Super Bowl, we have our own Patriot way. Yeah, you know what's the Patriot way? It's getting a guy like Tom Brady, which the Chiefs finally did. And not to say that player personnel staff members don't have an impact on it, but you got the head coach and you got the quarterback. That's how you become the Patriots, not with really a personnel man. Right. (sighs) All right. Now that I'm sweating, I want to also preview the schedule, which is coming out on Thursday. So we'll have another AP editor show on Thursday, but by then we don't know what games are going to be out. So I figured why not throw in a short preview today? The Chiefs home and away will play their division, of course. Their home opponents, the Atlanta Falcons, Carolina Panthers, Houston Texans, New England Patriots, and New York Jets. Their away opponents, the Baltimore Ravens, the Buffalo Bills, the Miami Dolphins, the New Orleans Saints, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or as has been out there, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if you want to go down that road. John, I knew you would like that one. I think what you see in the schedule release on Thursday is no division games in the first half of the year. That's what Peter King suggested some weeks ago, and I think there's a good chance that'll be the case. So that you could get rid of some of these early games if the NFL does have to delay their season. Maybe the half point of the year is too liberal because then you'd be having division games the last six of eight. But I think certainly the last 10. I think the first six games of the year are going to be non-division games. So if you have to get rid of them, you can. Again, you're not going to want to get rid of these marquee games though. So you wonder how strategic the NFL is. And what I mean by that, so say you want to get rid of two games. Wouldn't you rather those two games you're getting rid of be Chiefs-Dolphins and Chiefs-Bills as opposed to Chiefs-Bucks or Chiefs-Ravens? Like I think more than ever, you're going to see a strategic schedule this season. Right. You know, they always want to design a schedule. And in fact, when you read about what they went through, the computer spits out, you know, all these schedules. And then the individuals, the people look at them and try and say, well, which one is the best TV schedule? Which one gives us a marquee matchup in every week of the season that we can put on Sunday night football and Monday night football? Right. So they're going to have to spit out schedules that will give them the flexibility they need, but still give them those marquee matchups. And if you know if you design it so that part of the season can just go away, then you're going to want to have inter- conference matchups in that first quarter of the season. Now, that would include, though, Chiefs-Tampa Bay. That would be a, a marquee matchup by any on any television schedule just because of Mahomes versus Brady. And there are other matches, matchups like that, but they will have not as much to do with how the playoff race works out at the end of the season. Now, what they've been saying more recently is that they're considering ways to move the season back and start it and go ahead and get in the 16-game season and move it back to, say, the beginning of or the mid of, middle of October and move this, the games that would have been at the front end of the season to the back end. 
which would be more complicated, but it is apparently one of the options that's on the table for the NFL. We won't really know until we see it on Thursday. Yeah, I think for all those reasons, this will be the most unique schedule you've seen in yeah. a long time. I agree. By the way, are the Bills in the Chiefs division? I feel like this team always comes up. On <laughs> no matter what happens. <laughs> if you're wondering how many primetime games the Chiefs get, it'll be five because you have Patrick Mahomes now. And so mm-hmm. you're getting, they don't care about John and I sleeping. They, yeah, they don't. So they'll have five and then they can get flexed, I believe, into a max six game. So I, I think you'll see the Chiefs quite a bit on the primetime schedule. John, of all these games, what game do you need to know the date for? Well, the game I'm most looking forward to, I think, is the Ravens game. And that's right. the one I would want to know about right away. I mean, that's going to be a big matchup. Um, I think the Saints game might be in that category, too, because the Saints have been right at the top the last couple of years as the Chiefs have been real contenders. And we really haven't, we haven't faced them. We haven't seen what the two teams will look like against each other. That's bound to be a really good game. I mean, yeah, the Bucks game will be... That's my one. game. Yeah, I, th- that's what everybody's interested in. I, I, I'm really not worried about it. I really don't care about it all that much. I'm different than most people, I realize. But I just want, you know, you get Tom versus Pat four, right? I don't care about this game for right now. But you look 20 years down the line, try to think of 20 years yourself, and Pat is among the names for the greatest of all time. You're going to want that 500 record against Tom Brady. I also think you make a good point. I hadn't been thinking about Drew Brees versus Patrick Mahomes. That'll be interesting. Yeah. The Chiefs will have banner night now that the Royals have rescheduled their games on Thursday night. So who will that be against? It could be a division game. I don't expect that, which uh, because of the reasons we just mentioned. You can have Teddy Bridgewater and the Panthers to bring things full circle. But no, it'll be, I believe it'll be either the Houston Texans or the new look New England Patriots, especially if Cam Newton signs with them as is expected right now right that could be an interesting matchup as well last question here on on the schedule john can you believe that we just did a a schedule preview right there Uh, time flies when you're having fun (laughs) that's right that's right time flies when you're having fun time flies here on the arrowhead pride editors show if you liked what you listened to please tweet at us at pg sween at arrowheadphones at arrowhead pride you can leave a rating and review we take five star reviews here as well tomorrow coming up at 11 a.m it's another edition of the arrowhead pride laboratory we are back with you on thursday have a good week cheese fans